I'm excited today to welcome the 1910 Church, Austin Ayers, the Director of Ministries from Cross Mountain Church. It's been a privilege of mine to watch Austin grow up as a young man of God. He's got a great voice and leading incredible, empowering ministries within this area. You're going to be blessed as you hear from this young voice. I want you to stand right now and welcome to the stage, Pastor Austin Ayers. guys are awesome. You can uh, go ahead and have a seat. I'm not used to this. Last time I was here, I was speaking to the middle schoolers. I don't even think they were looking this direction, let alone standing to their feet. Uh, and so as Pastor Jason uh, mentioned, my name is Austin Ayers. I'm a pastor um, on staff over at Cross Mountain Church in San Antonio and super honored to be here with you guys this morning. Been a longtime fan and friend of 19 church, 1910 Church. I've, uh, I've actually grown up knowing your pastor since I was like in middle school, uh, which is a long time. That's, but that's good because that means you guys have pastors that are, that are sticking through some things and, and, and sticking around. And it's always good to see people that want to be in the will of God. And so just thankful for uh, Pastor Jason and Angie and the Brown family and all that they're doing. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. If I was attending church today, I would be looking over here at the ASL. That has got my attention all day long. I wish I could do it. Yeah, you can clap. Uh, I just... Also, side note, I'm already loving the energy. My church is not. We don't talk back. We don't clap. I would like that. You guys do it, so keep it up. Uh, this is just awesome. And so uh, excited to be here today. I, I was talking last service about how I've known 1910 forever, but honestly, in the last uh, year or so, I've probably been closer to 1910 than, than ever before, and, and partly due to uh, getting to know your student and worship pastors, Pastor Mark, Pastor Allen, uh, super thankful for them and what they do here at, Cross, uh, at 1910 Church and, and how they partner with Cross Mountain Church and uh, that friendship there. And so just honored to uh, be in your house today. Now, all that being said, I do things a little bit differently. And so today I wanted to start off with just like a super random start. And that is we're gonna play a little bit of a game to see how intelligent you guys are. Uh, word on the street is one service is smarter than the other service. I'm not gonna say which one, but that's what I hear, and we're gonna settle the debate right now for once and for all. So we're gonna play this game, and here's how it works. I'm gonna show three words on the screen. Your responsibility is to tell us how those three words are connected. What do they have in common? It'll make more sense once we give it a shot. So you just, once you know the answer, say it out loud. Here we go. Number one is... Fall, winter, and spring, they are all? You guys are smart. A little bit louder than first service, maybe a little bit smarter. We're going to find out. They get progressively harder, I think, over time. Uh, number two is this, a ball, a fish, and a cold. I think, I think I, there we go. I heard it a couple times. Things that can be caught. Yeah, you guys get it. Yeah, they can be caught. You can catch a ball, a cold, a fish. This next one I thought was really hard, and every person that I've shown it to has known it immediately, which just shows me that as I'm over here like, I'm going to see how smart you guys are. I'm not very smart, apparently. I think you're going to get it quickly, unfortunately. And that is this, a cat sword jelly. All fish. All fish. We got it over here. Yeah, they're all fish. They, all, they could all end in the word fish. Yeah, that one was really hard for me for some reason and not really hard for everybody else on the face of the earth. Uh, and so there's that. Last one, a little bit harder. Here we go. Sean Connery, Laszlo, Hamyx, 
and Ronald Wayne. Aha. Uh-uh, nah. I think I might have I might have stumped you guys this morning. I cheated. I went like like way harder <laughs> out of nowhere. Here we go. You ready? I haven't heard it yet. Any last guesses? No, no. Great guesses, Scott. I don't know if they're all Scottish. I have no idea. That's not the answer though. So maybe. Here we go. Missed opportunities. Oh, you're like, what? Sean Connery, missed opportunity. Here we go. I'm going to explain all these real fast. Sean Connery, who obviously had a very successful career, had a huge missed opportunity that not many people know about, and that is he was offered the opportunity to play Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Now, this is a big deal. They really, really wanted him to be Gandalf, so they offered him $30 million to play Gandalf, and also 15% of all of the amount of the movie, uh, the money that the movie made. Now, because Sean Connery didn't quite understand the script, he said no, not realizing he was turning down around $500 million. Pretty big missed opportunity. The next guy, Laszlo Hand, I don't even know, what, what, I don't, I don't know. he got famous uh, a few years ago, back in 2010, he was the first person to use Bitcoin in a real world transaction. And he spent in 2010, 10,000 Bitcoins on two pizzas. Now, if he would have held on to those Bitcoins, as some of you are already picking up on, that would have been worth around 270 million dollars. And the worst part about it all is they were Papa John's pizzas. <laughs> Not worth it. Smart gets it. The last one here is uh, Ronald Wayne. Uh, maybe you've heard of him. He helped co-found a startup company years ago that's done well since then. Uh, that company is called Apple. Maybe you've heard of it. And Ronald was given 10% stake in the company and years and years ago, he sold his 10% of Apple for $800. Not $800 million, not $800,000, $800. Today, Apple is valued at just over $3 trillion. Uh, so do the math real quick and missed opportunity. Uh, all three of these men had major missed opportunities, and it was all for the same reason, I believe is that they were unable to see the bigger picture. Today, we're gonna look at a story in scripture where I think we can see this same thing happening, where we see some people who have a missed opportunity because they're unable to see the bigger picture. And I hope that by the end of the day, you leave encouraged. I know you've been in this series throughout the summer called Live Out Loud, and I hope that you leave today encouraged to not miss big opportunities, but instead to see the opportunities and to live out loud. The story that we're going to be looking at in scripture today, you might be familiar with. Uh, it's a story that's found in a couple of books, but specifically we're looking at Mark chapter 6, and it's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, the part that you need to know is that Jesus feeds 5,000 people. That's pretty much the summary. Now, obviously, there's a few more details to it than that. Like he only had five loaves of bread and two fish, and he takes all of that, and he multiplies it out, and he feeds everyone until they're full. It's actually a super, super cool story, but I want to look at it in its entirety this morning to see how we can learn from that 
uh, story. So if you have your Bibles with you, you're able to open up to Mark chapter 6. If not, don't worry. Uh, it'll be up on the screens. We're going to read through it together. It says, Then Jesus went from village to village, teaching people. He called his 12 disciples together, and he began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing with them on their journey except for a walking stick. No food, no bag, no money. I relate. He said, wear your sandals on your feet, but take no uh, change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake it off. That's where Taylor Swift got it from. Jesus said it first. He said, hey, just shake it off. He says, leave those people. You've abandoned them to their fate. So the disciples went out and they told everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And this is the cool part right here. They were able to cast out many demons and they healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Now what's so cool about what's taking place here, I wanna get to in a second, but to really understand me a little bit and the way my brain works, you gotta understand that when I read through scripture, I love to ask questions and try to look between the lines and, and see what's going on. And the first thing that I thought about when I read this passage of scripture was this, that if Jesus sent out the disciples two by two, who got stuck with Judas? Like, I'm wondering, like, were they assigned people or was it like when you were in high school and you had like the group project and it's like, pick your own group and you're like, hey, Matthew, Oh, no, it's Judas again. Uh, I don't know what happened there, but I'm like wondering how that, that went down. But then as we continue to read through what's happening, it gets uh, pretty cool. And that is Jesus is giving the disciples spiritual authority. He's empowering them to live for something bigger than themselves, to go out and to do things that are bigger than themselves. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, not in their own strength, they're able to go out and do some Jesus-type things. They're casting out evil spirits. They're healing sick people. They're doing miraculous things that really only Jesus can do. It was an incredible, incredible moment in the disciples' lives. And what happens whenever they get excited about all this? Well, let me show you what happens next in the story. We continue on in Mark chapter 6, and it says this. The disciples returned to Jesus from their ministry tour, and they told Jesus all that they had done and taught. And then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest for a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his disciples didn't even have time to eat. Now you gotta see what's happening in this moment right here is that Jesus' disciples had gone off, they had done these incredible things and now they've come back and what do they wanna do? They want to brag to Jesus about all the cool things that they had done. And if you follow the story of the disciples, you would see that, honestly, they're a lot like a lot of the guys that I know today. They're a little bit competitive. They want to know who did better. I'm sure that they were bragging and, and making fun of their friends, saying, oh, you only healed this many people? Well, I healed this many people. Oh, you only cast out this many spirits? I did twice that. Or you healed somebody from leprosy? I gave somebody their sight back. Like, I just imagine that they're, like, all excited. They're like, Jesus Look how good I've been living out loud. I've been doing it great. I'm so awesome. And they're just telling Jesus, hey, I don't know if you know this, Jesus, but I'm a pretty big deal. They're very excited. They're very forward. They're not very humble about it. This is the way that I'm reading this story. I don't know. And they get excited, and they tell Jesus all about what's going on. And Jesus is like, hey, look, there's so many people here. 
let's go off somewhere quiet. We can eat, we can rest, and we can keep talking about it. So let's continue on in our reading. It says, so they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Side note, those people had to be really fast. They were faster than a literal boat. That's insane to me. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boats and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. In Matthew's account of this story, it says that Jesus saw the crowds, that they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and they said this, this is a remote place, there's nothing around here, it's already getting late, stuff's starting to close, send the crowds away so they can go to a nearby farm or village to buy something to eat. The disciples are like, Jesus, I'm not sure if you notice, but if you look around, there's no McDonald's, there's no Chick-fil-A, and it's getting late, H-E-B's getting ready to close, I don't know what people are gonna be eating, we need to send them off so they can go figure out what to eat on their own. Because by the way, Jesus, I wasn't done telling you all the good things that I'd done for you. I'd also done this, and I'd also done this. You see, the disciples wanted this alone time with Jesus to continue to tell him all the great things that they had done, and so they wanted to send away the crowd. Now, the interesting thing about this part of the story is at this point, I'm sure everyone was hungry. Don't get me wrong. I live in a constant state of always hungry. I'm hungry right now. Yeah, no, for real, that's bad. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a quick service. But the only people that we know so far from what scripture tells us that are hungry are the disciples. So there's a chance that the disciples are saying, hey, Jesus, I'm really looking out for the needs of others, and maybe they are. Or the disciples are saying, yo, I'm hungry. Let's get rid of them. Let's hang out, just you, me, and Jesus, right? Let's hang out. Here's what I want you to write down if you're taking notes this morning. It's the longest point in human history, and it's this. The disciples saw what was happening on the outside, and Jesus saw what was happening on the inside. You see, the disciples, they could have been doing a good thing. Maybe they were. I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they saw the needs of the people around them and they thought, hey, they really are hungry. They really do need something to eat. Jesus, we need to let them go so they can eat. They saw the, the physical, the outside need. But Jesus, he saw something so much deeper than that. You see, Jesus looked at the multitudes and he said, man, there's something going on on the inside. They're, they're harassed, they're helpless, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And it says that he had compassion on them. He had to do something about the internal need. I mean, I love this because we don't see in this moment Jesus neglecting the physical. No, in a moment he's going to do the miraculous and, and feed and provide for the multitudes He's not neglecting the physical, but he's making sure that his disciples don't neglect the spiritual. He says, hey, I know it's easy for you to look at the outside when you look at people, but when I look at people, I don't just see the outside. I see what's going on on the inside as well. 
We see that all the way back in the Old Testament. And I'm, I'm taking this verse out of context, but I think that the, the truth remains. When, when God is assigning a new king to rule over Israel and he decides that it's going to be uh, King David, the youngest son of Jesse, he looks at him and he tells Samuel this in this first, first Samuel chapter 16. He says, hey, the Lord doesn't look at people the way you guys look at each other. He says, people look at outward things but God looks at what's going on on the inside. And I think in the same way, we're seeing this actively take place as Jesus is looking over the multitudes. He's aware of the outside. He's aware there's a physical need and he's going to do something about it, but he's not gonna miss out on caring for what's going on internally as well. I mean, I think this is what separates us as Christ followers from the rest of the world. You see, the rest of the world, there are people in this world that want to do good things. There are people in this world that, that care for others and, and provide for needs that need to be met. But the thing that makes us as Christ followers different is that we shouldn't just care for external needs. We care for spiritual needs as well. But it's so hard sometimes to see those things. You, even as I was preparing this message, we were doing an event at my church that we do every year. It's called Serve Day. It's pretty straightforward. It's not a very creative name. Serve Day, what we do is we take a day to go in, serve. You guys, I thought y'all were the smart, the smart service. We take a day to go in, there it is. Okay, so we go on Serve Day and we serve in, in tons of different Areas We serve all over the city of San Antonio, some areas in, in Bernie. We love what we get to do. This year, we had hundreds of people participate in Serve Day. But the area that I love to serve at every year is every single year, we take some time. There's a gas station by our church, and we give out free gas for everybody that shows up at the gas station. It's super cool. We give out $10,000 of, of free gas, which not to one person, that would be way too much gas for somebody, but like for groups of people, you know, you can come in, we fill up your tank, and it's like, they're like, what's the catch? And you're like, there's no catch. And they freak out, and it's like so exciting, and you just see them smile, and it's just fun, and, and, and I love getting to be a part of that, and I do it every single year. But this year, um, I was unable to serve at the gas station because I got assigned to go somewhere else. I don't get to pick my spot anymore. I'm on staff, so they said, you're going here. And I was like, oh man. Uh, so I went to my spot and it was great. But when we came back to the church, we had lunch together and me who loves to serve at the gas station was like, I'm going to go talk to everybody that was at the gas station and just hear how it went. I'm going to live vicariously through them. And I'm going to have the smile on my face and be like, oh man, no strings attached. This is great. And so I go and I talked to like six or seven different couples that served at the gas station, and all of them said like the same thing to me. I was like, how was it? And they were all like, man, it was just so good. And I was like, I bet it was. And then they said, there was just so much need. And I was like, like, what do you mean? Like, I was like, I know the economy's not great right now, but like last year, gas prices were higher than they are this year. I would have thought last year would have been more need. This year would have been more fun. Like it was, there was that much financial need and they were like, oh, yeah, I guess there was some financial need. And I was like, what are you even talking about then? And they said, man, there was just something so much deeper in every person I talked to. There was something going on on the inside. They said, I got the chance to pray for people who had broken marriages. 
I had the chance to pray for people who had estranged children that they're gonna believe are gonna come back one day. I had the chance to pray for people that had financial needs that go beyond $50 of free gas. Like I had the chance to see and care for something so much greater than the thing that was right in front of me. And I'm over here like, man, I just missed it. I'm like the disciples in this moment. I was looking at the outside need, but there was something so much greater going on on the inside. Man, I think it's so important for us as Christ followers to be aware of those things and even to talk to God about those things. Every so often, I, I, I say this prayer to God. I say, God, give me eyes to see people the way you see people. Because it's easy for me to see people the way I want to see them. And honestly, the way I see them is not always good. But I say, God, give me eyes to see people the way you see them. Not just the surface, but the things that are deeper, the things that are more important. God, I don't want to just care for people like the world cares for people. I wanna look different. I wanna do more. I wanna care for spiritual needs. God, give me eyes to see people the way that you see people. I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't think I'm great at it. I don't think I've got it figured out, but I do know this, that when I take the time to pray that prayer and to consciously think about, hey, I'm going to view people the way God views them today, it changes my perspective. I do begin to see people differently. I don't get better. I'm not like, oh, I solved all the problems, but now I'm aware. And now I can say, okay, this is not as big of a deal as I thought it was because there's something bigger. There's something deeper going on. Like Jesus, when he looked at the crowd, and he says, yeah, they're hungry, but they're harassed. They're helpless. They're in need. And I gotta do something about it. And I gotta keep on going because I'm taking too long on point number one. I got three points. Let's keep going into uh, the passage. Let's go back into the passage of scripture. Here's what it says, continuing on the reading. It says, late in the afternoon, uh, Jesus' disciples came up to him and they said, hey, this is a remote place. There's no McDonald's. H-E-B's closing. Send the crowds away so they can go and go into the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months just to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. So Jesus says, how much bread do you have? He asked, go and find out. Side note, before I keep reading, there is, the Bible says, 5,000 men and their families. So there's between 5,000 to 15,000 people in this crowd. I just noticed this reading whenever I was writing this message. Jesus says, go out and find out how much food there is in the crowd. And the disciples came back and said, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Really? That's all the food that you could find in 15,000 people? You found five pieces of bread? I don't think they looked very hard. That's the whole thing I wanted to say. That's it. All right, let's keep going. <laughs> then Jesus told the disciples, you got the five loaves of bread, you got the two fish. He said, hey, have the groups sit down on the green grass. This was not in South Texas. The grass was green. So they sat down in groups of about 50 to 100 people. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up towards heaven and he blessed them. Thunder? Yo, I thought that was thunder. I got so excited. I just said we don't have green grass, and I was like, God, it's raining. Air conditioning. 
he broke, he broke the bread, he broke the fish. And to the disciples, uh, he, he gave it to them so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed that day. This is some crazy stuff happening right here. Jesus is looking at what's going on and he goes to the disciples. He says, all right, what, what do we got going on? And he starts to solve the problem. Now, I love this because the disciples' idea of solving the problem was getting rid of everybody. <laughs> they said, hey, Jesus, you know what would be great if these people weren't here? <laughs> that was their solution. But Jesus said, no, that's not what I want. See, Jesus knew that there was, again, some internal need going on. He felt compassion. He had to do something about it. So even though there was an impossibility in front of them, he said the solution might be impossible as well. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The disciples saw a problem, but Jesus, he saw a solution. See, I, I love this because that's the God that we serve. When we're faced up against problems, we serve a God who is a problem solver. Although we might have limitations in our own life, like the disciples, we might see scarcity of what's going on. We might feel like the provision is not all that we need it to be, but we serve a God who can see beyond the problem and see through the impossibilities of life, and he could do what we could never do on our own. This is great news. That's the God that we serve. He's a problem solver. He's, he's, he's limitless. There's nothing that, that he can't do. As a matter of fact, it says that, he says that in Jeremiah chapter 32. I love it. It's like God's flexing a little bit. It's Old Testament. But he says this. He says, hey, I'm the Lord. I'm God of all mankind. Is there anything that's too hard for me? And then he's like, hey, rhetorical question. The answer is no. I can do everything. No matter what it is, I've got it handled. And this is important for us to grasp today. One of the things that we say at my church is that we are people who pray first, meaning that anytime we come up against opposition, anytime like the disciples, we come up against a situation or a, a season in life where things are difficult and there's a problem, we are people that pray first. The issue is so often I treat prayer like a last resort instead of a first response. The prayer is supposed to be my, my, my first response. When, when problems come, I go to God. God, here's what's going on in my life. And here's, here's the truth and the reality of it is, is that all of us are gonna face hard days. Jesus says in John chapter 16, he says that all of us will face trials and tribulations and, and things that are thrown at us because of this world. But then he says this, but take heart because I have overcome this world. Man, we serve a God who is a divine problem solver. But so often we feel like, man, I'm gonna do it on my own. I'm gonna solve my own problem. I think for so many of us, when we're faced up against opposition, we're faced up against this problem, we go, man, that's a really big problem, and God, I'm sure you could help, but I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna do it in my own strength. I'm gonna work on this on my own, and, and, and that's probably how I tend to be, but then I was talking to a buddy who's on the other end of the spectrum, and he said, man, I have a hard time 
bringing my, my needs or my requests to God. And I said, why do you feel that way? And he said to me, he said, I just feel like everything in my life is just too small for God. And I was like, hey man, I don't mean to be offensive, but the smallest problem you got going on in your life and the biggest problem you could ever face in your life are all too small for God. Man, we serve a God who can do the impossible. He literally said, there is nothing that I cannot do. This is great news, but it means this, that we gotta be people that say, hey, prayer's not gonna be my last resort. Prayer's gonna be my first response. When, when days get hard, I'm gonna go to God in prayer. When days are good, I'm gonna thank God for his goodness. When, when things are, are confusing, I'm gonna ask God for his wisdom. In every season, in every area, we can go to God and God is going to provide. We just sang that song earlier, Jehovah Jireh. God is my provider. That's who he is. It's literally his name. But I got to say, hey, I'm willing to accept. Hey, I'm willing to go after. I'm willing to reach out to you and say, hey, I can't do it on my own. Here's my problem. I need help in the solution. I want to continue on again. I, I'm probably getting close to, to where I need to um, be getting done, but but I want you to you go with me, and, and hopefully you've kind of seen how my brain works a little bit over the course of this message. It's a little bit different. I don't know if that's good or bad. My mom says it's good, but that's all I hear. Uh, and so um, as I was writing this message, compared to when I finished this message, my view kind of like entirely changed on the whole thing. So I'm going to just explain it all out to you. Kind of got to go with me there, and then I'll tell you where I'm at now, and we'll see if we agree, okay? So basically, I'm reading this, this story. And I see Jesus empowering the disciples. He says, hey, here's some spiritual authority. You can go out. You can make a difference. He empowers them with the Holy Spirit. And they go out. And in my own words, they go out and they do some Jesus-type stuff, right? They're doing impossible. They're, they're casting out demons. They're healing sick people. They're doing all sorts of miracles like only Jesus could do. And now they're back with Jesus and they find themselves up against another impossibility. There's thousands of people in front of them. They have little to no resources. And they say, Jesus, what should we do? And Jesus' response was this. You feed them. You feed them. And when I read this for the first time, and, and to kind of bring it back to the game that we played in the beginning, I thought to myself, was there a chance that not on their own, but empowered by the Holy Spirit, having received spiritual authority from Jesus, could the disciples have done the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000? Was Jesus telling them, hey, this could be your chance to live out loud. This could be your chance to do something that's bigger than yourself, but they missed out on the opportunity. That's how it started when I was writing. But the more that I studied the story and the more that I thought through it, my, my opinion began to shift a little bit. And instead, I, I didn't see it as a missed opportunity. I saw it as 
an invitation to do the miracle alongside Jesus. You see, the disciples saw limitations, but Jesus saw an invitation. And what I mean by this is if you go back and you look at those stories, the disciples actually didn't miss out on the miracle, but instead they were actively participating in every step along the way. Jesus says, okay, how much food do we have? So they go out and look. They don't do a very good job, but they go out and they look. And they come back and they say, Jesus, we have five loaves of bread. We have two fish. And then Jesus says, okay, I want you to go out and I want you to split up the groups into 50 to 100 people. Now, if these people are like sheep without a shepherd, I imagine that took a very long time to get them into these groups on the green grass. But the disciples went out and they did it. They come back to Jesus and they said, Jesus, we did what you asked. Now what? And then Jesus looks up to heaven, he multiplies the offering, and he presents it to the disciples to go out and to distribute or to actively be a part of the miracle that's taking place. Keep in mind, this is Jesus. They're already in the groups. He's already multiplying food. It's impossible. He could have snapped his fingers and just had the gourmet plate sitting right in front of everybody. But instead, he invited his disciples to be a part of the process. I don't think they missed an opportunity. I think they said yes to an invitation. They were a part of the miraculous. They were a part of something that was bigger than themselves. And Jesus was with them the entirety of the time. If you continue following the the story of Jesus, we see that Jesus goes to the cross He dies a a sinner's death, even though he did nothing wrong. Three days later, he defeats death, hell, and the grave. He rises victorious, and then he spends about 40 days with his disciples. And in those 40 days before he ascends back to heaven, we don't see a lot of what happens. We don't know the things that he said. We don't know the things that he was teaching the disciples. But we do know the very last thing that Jesus said. On the day that Jesus was ascending back into the heavens, he gave his disciples one more invitation. It's known as the Great Commission. It's found in Matthew chapter 28, 19, and 20. Jesus says this. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples, which is the key phrase here, to obey everything that I've commanded you and be sure of this. You're not doing it alone. I'm always going to be with you there was another invitation. You see, in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus presented an invitation for the disciples to live out loud, to be a part of something that was bigger than themselves. And then the last thing that Jesus says to his followers before he goes to heaven and sends his Holy Spirit, he says, hey, here's another invitation. Go out. Be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And then it says this, that everyone who chooses to accept that and believe that becomes new disciples. And if they're new disciples, what does that mean? That the same invitation that happened thousands of years ago is true for us as well. Jesus, although he's speaking to the 12, is saying, hey, to anyone who wants to follow me, here's the invitation. Go out and live for something that's bigger than yourself. Go out and make disciples. Go out and tell people 
about who I am. Go out and, and invite people to 1910 Church. Go out and tell people, hey, this is who I used to be, but this is who I am now because the transformative power of Jesus Christ. He says, go out and live out loud. This is the invitation. And I don't want to be people that miss out on this. I thought the disciples missed it, but now I don't think they did. But what a shame it would be today if we look at this story, if we see the invitation, and we don't respond. So I'm gonna give us a chance to respond. I'm gonna ask everyone to, to stand to your feet this morning, and we're gonna get ready here in a moment to go back into a song of worship But before we do that, I want to give you a chance to respond. A chance, hopefully, to accept the invitation. I said this last service, and I believe it to be true. I've known Pastor Jason and Angie for a long, long time. And I've seen God use them, and God used 1910 Church to do some incredible, incredible things for the community of Burning, for, for the, the lives of people in this area. But I believe this, that although great things have happened at 1910 Church, I believe the best is yet to come. That's great news. But I also believe this, that it starts with you. It starts with you accepting that invitation, not from me, but from Jesus and walking in the fullness of that invitation through the power of the Holy Spirit to live out loud for something that's bigger than yourself. So I'm gonna ask that everyone in the room would, would bow their head and, and close their eyes and I'm gonna pray for all of us in a moment that we would be people that accept that invitation. But I also understand that in a room this size that, that there might be some people in the room that that maybe need to accept another invitation from Jesus. And that is one to, to follow him, to make him the, the leader of their lives. Maybe you've never made that decision or maybe you've made the decision, but honestly, you just haven't been living that way. Today, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that as well. And so here's what I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask that, that everyone in the room would, would loudly and boldly join in prayer and repeat this prayer after me for those that wanna make this decision. Everybody say, Jesus, thank you so much for loving me. And thank you so much for going to the cross in my place. Today I choose to follow you. I want you to be the leader of my life. God, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice today. God, I pray that we would be people that accept your invitation, that we would be people that live out loud, that live for something that's bigger than ourselves and something that brings glory to your kingdom. So God, I pray for every person that you would give us boldness, 
that you would give us words when we don't have words, that you would give us peace when we're fearful or afraid, but God, that you would use all the people of 1910 Church to accept this invitation, to live for something bigger, and God, that we would see the fruit of that response. God, that we would see more and more people come to this church and experience salvation. God, that we would see more and more people come to this church and, and have freedom from addiction and, and bondage. God, that we would have more and more people come to this church and see reconciliation in their marriages and their relationships. God, that you would do what is seemingly impossible, but it would start with a yes. So God, today, that's what we give you. We say yes to your invitation. Before we go into this last song, before we invite the prayer partners up to pray over this church, God, let us be people that say yes. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray all of this. And all of 1910 said, amen and amen. Well, like I said, I do want to invite the prayer partners up to the front this morning. And if you made the decision to make Jesus the leader of your life, they would love to pray with you today. But also, if you just need prayer for something going on in your life or, or prayer to say, hey, I wanna be the person that's bold enough to say yes to the invitation. Man, as we go into this last song of worship, they want to pray with you today. Let's continue to worship.